Hey guys, I am taking a slightly new turn with this podcast to focus more on the personal and spiritual journey that we have to go through if we are to change the world. And I actually used to think that to be an activist, I had to be angry and upset with the world and with myself and that I couldn't wake up in the morning and feel good and have fun because there was so much to do, so much that was wrong that I had to fix. But then I realized the list went on and there was so much to do in the world and there's no way I can do it all, first of all. And secondly, by thinking this way, by always being upset and angry and frustrated, I I was so tired. I slept through whole weekends. I continuously got sick and I had to always start over again. You know, I had to start from square one. And then one day I was like, this is not working. I need to change my approach. And I slowly became a climate optimist. And I decided to look at the world from a new lens and say, there is so much work to be done, but I am going to show up with optimism and excitement and love and light. And it's so important that I take care of myself first so that I can show up the best version of myself and make an impact in the world. And the funny thing is, as soon as I started practicing this new approach, I actually had a lot more success with my activism. Suddenly people wanted to listen to what I had to say and they felt inspired because I wasn't coming at them with anger and uh, shame. They were like, oh, that what you're doing right now seems cool. Like, can you tell me more? And so... It led me to be a climate optimist. And for you who have listened to my podcast before or follow me on social media, it's something that you know that I nowadays preach with passion. And before we go into today's episode, I actually want to quickly mention that I'm about to start teaching my climate optimist class online. And since you are my dear listeners, I want to offer you a free ebook and a free first class that I'm going to host on August 5th. So if you head over to theclimateoptimist.com and sign up before the end of July, you get all this for free. And I am so excited to share this with you. I really think it's going to help you in so many ways because it continues to help me every single day. And so I just want to help spread this message to as many as I can. So if you're interested in the Climate Optimist class, if you're interested in the ebook, head over to theclimateoptimist.com and sign up today. All right, to today's guest, David Gandelman. He is a spiritual teacher, the host of the Energy Matters podcast and the Grounded Sleep podcast. His work has been featured on the Insight Timer meditation app, where it has been streamed for more than 30 million minutes. He connects energetic experience, ancient wisdom traditions, and humor to create a safe atmosphere for people interested in learning to meditate. And I'm so excited about this episode because I feel like it really ties back into our work as climate optimists and how we show up with the energy that we want to put out into the world and how we learn how to be mindful and more just spiritually grounded in all of our work. And so let's get David on the show and I'm going to start by letting him tell us a bit more about himself and also get some tips on how to start meditating. If you are someone like me, especially who might want to meditate, but find it hard to actually sit down and do the work. And so without further ado, this is David Gandelman. I was a meditation nerd since I was 16. So I started by just reading some books on meditation. The first book was The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. And that definitely shifted my life and led me on a long journey of uh, personal spiritual growth. Ended up living in India and the Himalayas and in an ashram and uh, in Hawaii, where I learned more of the kind of spiritual intuitive healing side of things. Uh, and then I got in, eventually got into teaching people, got in classes. And these days uh, I have a 
podcast called Energy Matters that I interview people on and a sleep podcast called Grounded Mind. My main audience, I would say, is on Insight Timer, the meditation app, which is, it's, it's funny because it's the most used meditation app in the world, but then a lot of people have never heard of it because they didn't do any advertising. But it's, uh, it's, it's free. So if you haven't heard of it yet, it's a great place to start with meditation. There's thousands of teachers on there. Uh, so that's a platform of mine I work with. And then these days I'm focusing most of my energy on meditation school, which is a platform I started where I teach live on Zoom with, uh, with a smaller audience and do more interaction and kind of deeper work. So my days are spent uh, right now working on a book teaching meditation and do a little bit of corporate stuff, take a couple of clients here and there, not, not too much anymore. Um, there's a quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson. I can't remember it exactly, but he says something along the lines of, uh, in, uh, in other works of genius, we find our own alienated thoughts. And unfortunately, most of our thoughts are kind of repetitive noise but then every once in a while, there's like a gem, there's like a diamond in there. And when people start meditating, their first uh, concept of meditation is, well, I just want to turn off all my thoughts. And we see ourselves as like computers, unfortunately, because that's what we spend our time with all day. Most, not everybody, but a lot of people. And so we just want to, we want to unplug and hit the uh, power button and turn it off. But it's much more complicated and dynamic than that. You can't just turn off your mind uh, in a healthy way just hitting by hitting the off button. So when people start meditating, one of the first things to recognize is that your thoughts are super important and some of them are gold. Some of them can change your life, maybe change the life of a lot of people on the planet. And then 98% of them are probably just repetitive noise and, uh, you know, fear and other emotions kind of bubbling up to the surface. So normally we have a feeling first in the body and then it turns into a sequence of thoughts. And then when we don't reconcile it, it becomes repetitive and we start ruminating. And most people, I'm sure if you're listening to this, you've ruminated on some thoughts today. Sometimes I like to describe it as like a dog chewing on a bone. We just kind of gnaw at something <laughs> over and over. And so when people come to meditation, this is the number one reason they, they show up is because they're having these repetitive thoughts over and over. And those thoughts are creating anxiety and or fear and some stress. And they want to mitigate that, right? So they come and they're like, David, teach me how to shut off my mind so I can be peaceful, but I still want to get all the things that I want. <laughs> and there's always that caveat. I, want, I don't want to change in any way. I just, just tell me how to shut off my thoughts, but I don't want to change. <laughs> it's funny, right when I said that, uh, I heard police sirens going off in the background around my house. That's the siren I get as a teacher going, oh, great, one of these. <laughs> So first thing is you've got to be willing to shift your patterns and really look deeply at yourself. That's what meditation is, is truly about, looking inwards and understanding who you are. Personally, as a teacher, 
I'm not interested in just teaching someone a way to calm themselves down for four minutes so that they can go back into doing the same stuff they were doing before unconsciously. <laughs> I'm much more interested in that deep radical shift of consciousness that's going to change you and then that's going to change the world. So I know a lot of people when they come to meditation, they're looking for like that two minute or two minute or five minute hit, uh, something to add to their morning routine, something that they can tell their friends they do. You know, you're, it's surprising how much actually that happens. Um, but I don't approach it that way. I think it's a very sacred kind of experience. And for me, I actually prefer sitting longer, even if it's less often than you know, two minutes every day at the same time. I think that does have a lot of benefit and uh, it works for people. I think we're all just wired a little differently. Maybe I'm, I don't know, the way I'm wired, uh, like repetitive uh, habitual tasks like that just don't work for me that well. They don't excite me. So I'm more of someone that'll sit for a couple of hours maybe at a time and uh, maybe le maybe less often. So, so if you, but if you are somebody that's like, well, give me something quick and easy every day, uh, I would start with guided meditation. Most people, that's very helpful to have direction at first. And so like the Insight Timer app, uh, Headspace is a very popular app. Uh, I also teach on one called Simple Habit. That's pretty cool. And you go on these apps and you find the topic that you're interested in. And the cool thing about Insight Timer is they have a lot of 10 and 30 day courses. So you can, you can sign, if you have a membership, it's like five, six bucks a month or something, and you can take all the courses you want. So you just pick a 10 or 30 day course that interests you, that's 10 minutes a day. And then, and then you work through that. And I think that's a great way to get started. So it could be a course on anxiety. It could be a course on fear. It could be a course on letting go of attachment. It could be a course on abundance. So the problem with uh, the problem a lot of people have with meditation is they start, they get bored, it's too hard, they quit because it's repetitive. It feels like work. That that's not going to be a great way to be successful with meditation. What you want to do is find a topic that's really relevant to your life. So maybe you're going through some heartbreak or, or relationship stuff, something tied to your emotions. Find a top, find a course or a teacher that's really good with that topic and use it as an impetus to get you into meditation and to look at yourself. Now that That's always my approach with it with my students. Make sure that you're going to really love it and enjoy it. Otherwise, you're probably going to quit because nobody's watching you meditate. You, you can't really live stream it. I guess you could on Instagram, <laughs> but it's just you sitting still. So, so it's something that you're going to have to do for yourself all the time. So you better find a style and or a teacher that you like. And there are hundreds of styles of meditation. You know, there's chanting, mantras, uh, there's, there's uh, mindfulness, there's healing kinds of meditations and intuitive meditations, visualization. There's so many and we're all wired different. So find the one that complements your personality and the one that you're going to really stick with for a while and you enjoy. Um, and then see what happens. And, and uh, it, it, the last thing I'll say about that is time yourself if you can. In the beginning, it is helpful. So whatever you commit to, set a timer on your phone uh, because, and that's why Insight Timer is cool. They have a great uh, bell because 
usually right when our mind gets really chatty and uh, I've lost my meditation. I'm thinking about work. I've I've spun out. Forget it. Let me get up. It's over. (laughs) Failure. I'm a failure. Right when those thoughts start to arise, that's actually usually when you're making good progress. So if you time yourself, then you'll know, oh, I'm not done yet. And then that it's like waves in the ocean. You know how waves come in sets and there'll be like a big set. So usually people will quit meditation in the middle of a big set of waves, of emotional waves, of thought waves. And that's the moment you want to stick to it. So when you feel like you're the furthest away is when you're the closest. So if you time yourself, you'll be able to get through it to the other side. Just like when you exercise, uh, if, you only, if you're supposed to do 10 reps and you do five, you didn't get to that place where you tear where you, you know, tear the muscle so then it'll grow. Uh, so you want to make sure to time yourself to get through to the other side. I love how you refer back to exercising because that was exactly what I was thinking too. I feel like you have to think of it as an exercise and similarly to working out, find a style that really fits you because if it's just something that you force yourself to do every single morning as a routine, chances are that you'll start hating mornings instead and that is like, you know, killing the whole purpose. And this is something that I do that you may or may not agree on to be a form of meditation, but I always go for walks the first thing I do in the morning, and I used to always listen to music or podcasts on those walks, but nowadays I try to just be quiet and let my mind be, and it has become almost like a meditation where I just let whatever thoughts that want to come through surface, and I allow myself to just be in the moment. Would you say that that counts as meditation or is that kind of cheating? I think walking in silence is fantastic. I think it's really great. Um, I wouldn't say it's cheating, but I would, maybe I would say it, it could be a complement to your meditation practice, but not a substitution because the body holds emotion and energy and it's easier when we're moving to deal with it. The hardest thing is when we totally sit still, then it starts to arise. So, yeah, people, of course, we all love listening to music, right? For example, or podcasting, because our, our mind has an appetite the way our stomach has an appetite. The problem is when we overeat, our stomach tells us, and we can only go so far. But with our mind, there is no, almost no limit until we fall asleep. And so people are ingesting way too much information, almost food, food and, you know, thought food, let's call it food thought, and their heads are just exploding with excess information. So I think walking in silence is a good start. I think it's great, but there's something to be said for sitting completely still and then seeing what happens. And what's going to happen very likely is everything's going to come up to the surface. You start arguing in your head about Donald Trump. (laughs) You know, for you, maybe climate change for somebody else, uh, some other issue, maybe it goes into financial rumination or relationship rumination. And it's hard to kind of awaken out of that ruminating thought while you're walking because walking almost... uh, it's like the time you go to think about things deeply, right? Yeah. <laughs> Where you go to figure things out, resolve things in a creative way. And I think that's very, very useful. But it's still 
a little bit different than sitting totally still and letting the thoughts pass until you find some silence. Um, in Zen, they do have walking meditation, which I would practice when I practice Zen, and I think it is a great compliment. Uh, so I would say keep going with that and try to sit still and see what happens. Let's talk a little bit about your own podcast, Energy Matters, because I love the name. I think it's brilliant, and I would love to hear your thoughts on why you chose this name and also what energy actually means to you and how it plays a part in your life and in the world. Yeah, well, we named it that because we, me and Cody, my co-host, really believe energy matters. And what I mean by that when I say energy, and I could just start with, uh, with an example, is we all have been around somebody whose energy we're like not cool with. Like, man, that person's got some negative energy. They've got some bad vibes. Every time I'm, I'm around them or I go to their house or they walk into the office, I just get this heavy, heavy feeling. And then we've all been around people who have great energy. And, uh, you know, it doesn't even matter what they're saying. You know how some people are funny, even if they're not making jokes, and other people are not funny, even when they are making jokes. Mm -hmm. Some people make us feel warm inside, no matter what. Uh, and it's like they're listening, they're present, and others, it's like they're never here. Uh, I remember I met a guy who, well, I mean, I've, we've all met a lot of people like this, but I remember meeting one guy in particular who was so attached to his phone, and he just wouldn't look up at me and look me in the eyes. And then somebody said, David has a podcast, and he looks up and he goes, how many listeners do you have? <laughs> and I told him, and because it wasn't in the millions, which is the only thing he was interested in, he went right back into his phone and you could see there was like less than 10% of him there present. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and his energy was just kind of somewhere else and kind of heavy. And we've all had those experiences. What I find is that energy really does matter when it comes to getting a job, finding a relationship, building a healthy family, being surrounded by people that you love, you know, having good friends. At the end of the day, it's really all about the energy that you bring to life. And so energy is what matters, but most people don't realize that they can actually shift their energy. What they believe is that if the outside world shifts, if they get what they want, then, they'll, then their energy will shift, then they'll be happy. And we can even go into that when it comes to big political things like climate um, or, or war and peace, right? If, if the politics weren't the way they were, I would be happy and calm. Well, uh, newsflash, <laughs> it might never get to the way you would like it to be. And you might, your body might expire by that time. So from now till then, you have a choice to make. Do you want to live in a really good energy, a high vibration, a happy grounded energy? Or do you want to match, you know, conflict and misery and pain because you feel guilty or because you need to fight? And so I think that when it even comes to the big macro issues, I mean, if every person on the planet shifted their energy and their awareness, a lot of the problems that we see wouldn't even exist anymore. So if everybody was calm and peaceful, they would, obviously there would be no more war, 
right? <laughs> if, uh, if people really cared about their own bodies uh, and then extended that care and compassion to the environment around them, there would probably be way less environmental degradation. And so I think we all come at solving problems from a different angle. My angle, because of my career, is I teach people to do it from the inside out. And then there are some really smart people, policymakers and scientists you know, who work on changing it from the outside in. And I think uh, both approaches are important and that at the end of the day, it's going to take both sides of the equation to solve all of these bigger issues. Um, what I've noticed is even if we solve an issue with a technology, usually that technology creates another issue and sometimes an even bigger one uh, if we don't shift our consciousness along with the technology. So like, for example, with our phones, we've created this incredible technology that can save lives, right? You can call 911 from anywhere. You can look up, uh, what do I do with a snake bite, you know, instantaneously. You can do all sorts of amazing things with your phone and it can bring you ADHD, depression, loneliness, isolation, judgment. You could, you know, become an internet troll and fight about Donald Trump all day online. <laughs> so you could bully someone. So um, I don't think the technology alone will solve it or the policies. I think it's the consciousness that comes with it and, and bringing those two together. And I think meditation has a super important role to play when it comes to that. Okay, so many things. I totally to 100% agree with you. My whole concept around climate optimism is that change starts from within. It starts with you. And it's when you start shifting that mindset of where do I make the most impact? Like, yes, I can channel my anger and take to the streets and protest and riot. But then we have to also remember that tremendous shift that we're able to create if we just turn inwards and say, who do I want to be in this? What is the energy that I'm putting out? And I actually had my own realization recently where, because I have for the longest time been quite oblivious, to be honest, to my own energy and how it affects my surroundings. And I didn't realize at first how much I was actually impacting those around me just by the energy that I'm in and that I'm putting out. But then there was this instant where I don't think I was really in a good mood for some reason. I was just really upset about something. And... I could actually feel as I walked into a room that I shifted the whole energy. And then I thought to myself, who am I to put this energy on these people? Like, who am I to make them feel a certain way because I happen to be in a shitty mood? And when I understood that I'm not an island in this world and I realized that how I show up in the world, I'm making an impact. And I mean, I want to be the one who people feel good being around. You know, I want to be the one spreading good energy and when I started seeing it from that lens, it's much easier to understand the role that you play in this world every single day. And that can obviously be easier said than done. Everyone has bad days and good days. And I'm not saying that you have to be happy all the time because that's just not realistic. And I think part of meditation and mindfulness is just coming back to yourself and being kind to yourself and realizing that we all have flaws and we all make mistakes and that's fine. But instead of being so reactive to it all the time, how can we actually find peace within that and turn it around and say, let's be in the flow with these energies. Let's let out what needs to be let out. And then how can I find my way back to the energy that I want to be in? And as we're recording this, we are still in the pandemic and I don't think anything is going to change sometime soon. So 
I'm curious to learn what what have you and what are you seeing in all of this, like energy-wise? Is there anything going on right now on a like energetic level that we may not be aware of? Yeah, well, a few things. One is any situation will usually amplify what's already inside of a person. So uh, people who tend to believe propaganda absorb more propaganda. People who tend to get afraid get more afraid. People who get anxious get more anxious. People who get angry get more angry, right? <laughs> Great opportunity to protest, uh, to be an internet troll, to fight with people on Facebook. You know, it'll just amplify what you've already got inside you. Uh, and if you're someone that likes to blame, there's more of that to go around for sure. So you have to start by noticing that. Then there are the people who see the silver lining in everything. Wow, I get to stay home. I don't have to work. The government's going to pay me anyway. For, right? These are just examples. Uh, this is an incredible opportunity to even look at death and my relationship with death, uh, my compassion for other people, you know, uh, maybe look at loneliness and isolation and its effects on, on you, on the people around you. Uh, it's an, it can be an opportunity to do charity work and help other people who are less fortunate. So, you know, there's one narrative in the media that's because that's the way it is. The, the job of the media is to share all the worst things that happened every day. Right. That's just one narrative. There's so many going on and you get to decide what channels you want to tune into and what energy you want to kind of match or not match. And so for the person who's interested in growing and the person who's interested in meditating, you know, what's important to look at is how am I reacting to all of this energy and what's in my highest interest in the people around me? What, what's really my next step in all of this? So unfortunately, I see a lot of people, everything is either the whole, you know, spiritual people will be like, the world is shifting. 2012, wait, what happened to that? <laughs> there was going to be a big shift. Uh, like every, the consciousness is going to shift. Everything's going to shift right now and into a higher plane. And then you have the opposite where everyone's going, ah, then everything's going to break apart. The governments of the world are going to break apart. Everything is ending. We're all screwed. Run, you know. And it's a perfect time for a person like that, the chicken little, the sky is falling kind of attitude. You know, now talk about hoarding gas masks, I mean, and food. This is like the perfect validation for somebody like that. But they're going to be disappointed because it's not the end and things are not going to all fall apart. And so uh, they're going to have to find their next narrative. And the same is true for the spiritual people who are saying everything is going to shift. No, it's not. Everything is not going to shift. Some things will shift and some things won't shift, right? History tends to be cycles of things repeating themselves again and again. Uh, so the truth is usually somewhere in the middle. And then here you are in the middle of that. And you get to decide how you want to respond and be in the world in the midst of this whole thing. Uh, so, I mean, personally for me, I've never been busier in my life uh, with my career, my classes are overflowing because people are going, well, I'm sitting home and I have all this anxiety and I need some help. So like I've never been busier. Um, and, and then other people are sitting at home with nothing to do because they've been laid off. Yeah. But it might be a great opportunity to do some work on themselves. 
there's so many facets to this and I think there's a lot of nuance in the middle here to that you can work with and mold the clay in a certain direction. I love that you say that both groups are going to get disappointed because you know it's neither this or that. It comes back to you're in the middle of this and what narrative are you telling yourself? Who do you want to be and what work do you want to put forth? And I feel like for the longest time, we've been looking to the outside world, like either to the governments or this bigger shift that's going to happen. And to be honest, I was actually one of those people at some point. I found a lot of comfort in thinking that, you know, some magical dust of some sort would one day come and lay its spell over the world and we would all just wake up and realize like, oh, this is how we're going to live our lives. But, you know, then daily life goes on and shit happens. And you remember that you're just human after all. And... I'm still on this planet and climate change keeps getting worse and more alarming and it's sort of hard to find hope. But then you remember that the only thing you actually have is yourself, right? Yeah, definitely. Okay, let's talk a bit more about climate change and what it's actually doing to our mental health and well-being because unfortunately we're seeing a huge rise right now in anxiety and depression, especially among younger people because of climate change. And that is, you know, from the uncertainties that comes from not knowing what's going to happen in the future, from hearing about all the disasters that we are predicting, and also just not seeing enough action to do something about it. So the lack of action in combination with, you know, the fear of this uncertain future, obviously is going to stir a lot of just anxiety and depression. So that is something that we're seeing right now. We're also seeing as a result of that complacency and apathy almost because how do you deal with something so big that feels too overwhelming and that you actually don't know how to deal with and so what you what the body naturally does is just to like try to forget about it and put it somewhere inside where we can hopefully ignore it and go on with our lives but you know we all know it's still there and it's still like nudging us and like reminding us that this is something we really need to deal with and so how can we shift this like how can we move away from being afraid of being anxious about the future and not knowing what to do to actually finding peace and happiness and optimism and use that as drivers for change like what what is your opinion on that like how can we shift it from anxiety to a place of health yeah it's a that's a big question well first of all i don't think anybody's like main core area of depression is would be necessarily climate change i think climate change would be is something that maybe people something deeper in them attaches to the concept of climate change and their future and that creates anxiety so the core let's say the core of it here is i'm anxious about the future right if we were just to if we were to bring it down to one sentence, uh, you go to your therapist and they say, what's bothering you? Uh, and you just say, I'm anxious about the future. It might be the future of the planet, the weather, you know, all of the complexities that come with that, the acidification of the ocean or deforestation, any, all, any and all of that. But at the core, I am anxious about the future, okay? We have to unpack that even further and see where that anxiety comes from because some people aren't anxious about the future. Some people, maybe, you know, especially if you've ever lived in the third world, uh, the, being anxious about the future tends to be something that many of us in the first world suffer from a lot because we live in a society that's very 
growth and future oriented, which is why we've created climate change in the first place, because we're always trying to grow and build. So we cut down the forests and we take the fish out of the oceans and, you know, everything. Um, and it reminds me of, the, of this great story uh, that, that this mythology, this Indian mythologist, uh, I don't know if I can say his name right, Devdutt, Patanayak. He's a beautiful guy in India. He was on my podcast once. He he did my favorite TED Talk ever called East vs. West. Uh, you can watch it on YouTube. And he shares this lo- lovely story about Alexander the Great going to conquer India. And he met a, and historically, he met a yogi in India. And then he fantasizes about what their conversation was like. And, you know, this yogi's sitting naked on a rock, and Alexander goes, Hey, yogi, why are you just sitting there naked on a rock? What are you doing? And he says, I'm focusing on nothingness. And Alexander the Great's like, What a waste of a life. And the yogi goes, What are you doing, Alexander? And he goes, I'm going to conquer the entire world. And by the way, I'm 27 or whatever, <laughs> right? He's still a kid. And uh, maybe he was even younger. And, and the yogi goes, what a waste of a life. Because to the yogi, uh, time doesn't matter. And everything comes up from dust and goes back to dust. Things work in cycles again and again. There's no conquering the world because in India you're reincarnated over and over learning lessons and it's just a futile exercise in his eyes and to Alexander there's only one lifetime it's this the only thing that matters is the future and conquering and building and growing and these two worldviews are really what exists now in the world, right? So that Western worldview of the future, have to grow, 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 develop, develop, right? New technology, the next thing, my career, whatever it is, it's so future-based. But if you've ever lived, I lived, uh, I spent seven years living in Hawaii and some time in India. And when you live in a place like Hawaii and people live close to the earth, there's not that anxiety about the future as much because when you're in nature, it just brings you into the moment. Nature teaches you how to be in the moment. And so one of the ways to mitigate that obsession about the future is to realize you have both Alexander and the yogi in you. You have both inclinations, but only one has been fed if you're super stressed and anxious uh, about the future all the time. You've probably grown up in a world where you've been taught that you really have to create a bright future, which is great, but it's only part of the story because we have a bright present. If you sit at the ocean and the waves roll in and there's a palm tree, you're like, what more could I need, right? Uh, if you've climbed the Himalayas and you've looked out at the horizon, like, wow, this planet is amazing. And so if we're disconnected from nature and disconnected from being in the moment, it doesn't matter what the external issues are, we'll always find something to be anxious about. So first, if, you, if you're concerned about the planet, then you should be connected to the planet. A lot of, I think a lot of people who are concerned about climate change aren't actually connected to the planet. It's a concept in their heads especially if they live in cities. Uh, So listen to the earth, put your hands on the planet, look up at the stars, connect to nature. That will definitely mitigate some anxiety. Uh, And then the other piece is just like anything in life, you don't really have control 
over some of this, right? There's billions of people. You can't tell them all what to do. You can only do your part. So being responsible for yourself, but not trying to heal everyone all at once, uh, being reasonable with your energy, I think is, is important. So, and at the, again, at the core of it, if somebody's really anxious, uh, there's probably something even deeper that they need to look at and, and see what it is. When I work with my clients one-on-one, um, we, we peel back the layers. And most of the time, a core anxiety comes from childhood comes from trauma it comes from some form of pain and if you don't go to that core you'll always find the next thing in the news to make you upset so i would love to see people engaged with healing climate change but not anxious and so upset that they don't live their lives i think you can accomplish both you can be a happy grounded person with great energy and contribute to keeping the planet safe and balanced and and mitigating climate change amen i just yeah. want to piggyback off that a little bit because i feel like someone might be listening now and thinking well that all sounds great but even though i try to stay connected with the planet and i don't want to worry about the future like i'm too aware of climate change i'm too aware of the disaster that's upon us i'm too aware of the fact that politics don't seem to care enough and we keep drilling for oil all these things and if you are like seriously worried about the climate, it's really hard to to see it in that lens and not to be stressed about it because it was me for many, many years. And the reason I'm pushing the climate optimist message so much is because I realized finally after doing a lot of self-healing and just reflecting and going through many times where I would just end up crying. I've been in the car with my husband crying sometimes. There was no stop to me. And, and in all of this, realizing that I can cry as much as I want. I can keep being stressed about this, but me feeling depressed and stressed and unhappy, it's not helping anyone. It's not helping the planet either. If anything, I'm just putting more of that fear energy into the universe and attracting more of it. If you, if you tend to believe in, you know, whatever you put out, you attract back. So I, I, I found it in myself that I can actually be super aware. I can be very connected with the planet. I can be very aware of what's going on around me with the climate, with politics, and still in all of this, choose to heal myself, to be optimistic, to believe that there's change that could be made. And in having this lens, I'm also much more able to be an activist. I'm much more able to make the the change that needs to happen. And you can still do that. You can work for the change you want to see, but you don't have to feel depressed or anxious or worried while doing so. And so I think I just want to really you know, highlight that. Thank you for bringing that up, that you are allowed to have a happy and joyous and rich life. And we need to start moving away from pointing fingers and blaming one another and blaming ourselves and living in shame because we just need to accept that we've been wrong for a very long time you can blame it on the Western world. You can blame it on culture or politics or greed or whatever you want to blame it on. Blaming is not the point. Like we need to stop, move away from blaming into just accepting. And then from there and from that place, how do we start healing ourselves and healing the planet at the same time? And let me just add, uh, I, I have a degree in politics and I spent a minute working in Washington. And the truth is actually people have a really negative view about politics and most of those people have never worked 
in politics that have a super negative view about politics. If you go to Washington and you meet people who work in the Department of Transportation or the Department of Energy or at the Environmental Protection Agency, uh, all of these different organizations, some of, some of them have tens and tens of thousands of people. And the vast majority of them are really smart, good people who are trying to do good work. What you see is the few people that bubble to the top that are really interested in power and money and influence or whatever else. But underneath them, you have thousands and thousands of amazing people doing great work. And I think they will sustain over time. People would always demonize even lobbyists. You know, you even say the word lobbyist and everyone cringes. Ooh, law, evil, right? That's not true at all. The vast majority of lobbyists are pushing agendas that they believe are true. Yes, there are lobbyists that are just doing it for the money or, you know, lobbyists for the coal industry that are just, or, or, or oil that are pushing for their policy agendas, of course. But there are so many incredible lobbyists and people don't realize when you're a congressman, you're dealing with hundreds of issues. Where are you going to get the information that you need to make decisions a lot of the information comes from lobbyists. And uh, the number one rule in Washington with that is if a lobbyist gives uh, a congressman false information, they're done. Their career is over. They're out, right? Because you, you put them on the spot. Mm -hmm. So lo what lobbyists do is they give information to policymakers. They, of course, they push their point of view, but at the end of the day, the policymakers get all of this information from all of these competing voices. Hopefully, all the information is, is, is as accurate as possible. And then they make a decision, right? And of course, you need a lawmaker that has, uh, ooh, doorbell. <laughs> you need a lawmaker that has integrity to make the best decision with the information that they have. And that's where, why we have a democracy and it's, and it's messy. Uh, but there's a saying you can always rely on America, on America to do the right thing after it's exhausted all its other options. And <laughs> I think that, again, like I was mentioning, the world is ending or it's shifting for climate, for, for folks interested in the climate topic, and you're really depressed about it. Again, I think the truth will be somewhere in the middle. And that when the human race is really pushed into a corner, we tend to come up with very innovative solutions. And you already see that happening. You know, people are cleaning up the oceans and there are electric cars. And although the change seems slow for you, uh, from a bird's eye view, it might actually happen relatively quickly. So I think there is a lot of optimism and hope. And there are a lot of people out there doing amazing work that are all smarter than I am. I teach meditation. I'm not smart enough to figure out these incredibly complex ecological issues, but there are people out there who are, and I'm happy they exist. To type a few things you mentioned earlier, I mean, the news and media tend to only want to talk about the bad things that are happening, and so we never really hear about the good things out there, which actually gives up somewhat of a distorted picture of reality, right? Because there's so many incredible things happening. People are cleaning up the oceans, the coral reefs are being restored, and people are working hard to rege regenerate the soil and whatever. And so with all these amazing things happening, 
I think it really ties back into choosing the energy you want to be and that energy matters because the stories that we tell ourselves are so important. So if you say, yeah, everything is going under, there's no way we can figure this out, that's a very heavy energy. Or if you seek out the good news, you can find hope and start telling yourself the story that we are working for this, like we can do this. And I get to choose what part of history I want to be on and more importantly, what do I want to believe in? Because what I believe to be true and what I want to work for is ultimately going to show up in the energy that I present to the world and to myself every single day. So thank you so much for that. I feel like I've gained and regained so much insight during this conversation with you. And I want to pivot into my final question because you sort of touched on it when you start talking about politics. And that is my word, retruthing. Retruthing means they take something in your life that you see as your truth right now or something that you live by up until now that's been your truth. Something you just do without even thinking about it or you know a value that you have lived by that ultimately shapes your life. But then by looking at the truth and saying, how can I change this? How can I change the narrative um, to bring this a new meaning? And by doing so, how can that change my life and how I look on the world? And so if I gave you the opportunity right now to re-truth anything, what would that be? So one personally for me uh, would be self-worth and, and, and self-value. Uh, so I think they're deeply somewhere inside of me growing up in New Jersey on the East Coast, kind of in the shadow of Manhattan. Uh, uh, I believed, and then going to college and getting a degree in philosophy and politics, I believed that the highest form of intelligence was that this intellectual kind that you see in a professor or a stock trader. <laughs> but it, you know, that was like my deep-seated belief. And because I didn't think that way, didn't see the world and experience the world that way, that I had less value and that I wasn't that smart. So my first value and belief or truth, I guess you could say, was that I thought that you know, if you had a certain amount of money and a certain kind of intellect, you had more value. And then as I uh, traveled the world and, and deepened into myself as a meditator and then as a teacher, slowly, and it was, it was definitely slowly, it was not uh, overnight, uh, started to see my value as a human being in a different way and in a deeper way. And then something really interesting happened was I started reaching a lot of people. I was started getting thousands and thousands of messages and uh, my meditations got streamed many, many times. And all of a sudden, I was getting all of these compliments. I had people from every corner of the world saying, David, you have so much value to me in my life. And then I was like, oh, <laughs> this is weird. <laughs> I went from thinking I didn't have value. Now everyone's telling me I have an enormous amount of value. And I don't know if that's true either. So I had to again, step back and go, all right, what's my, what's my real value to me for me, not just what other people say? First, it was what I thought it was supposed to be just based on my experience as a kid. And then it turned into, oh, this is what people think about me. And then I had to go, okay, even that's not really true. So I, for me, that retrue thing and continues to be is finding that deep level of self-worth and self-value and realizing uh, that we each have something to contribute that's very unique to the world. And the, there's a very high chance that whatever that thing is for you, it's caused you a lot of pain when you didn't recognize it and embrace it and own it. Uh, so maybe you're sensitive 
maybe you're so sensitive to other people's emotions and you always thought that was a weakness, but it turns out you're a healer and it could be a strength. Uh, or you're not good at intellectual, you know, kind of exercises, but you're an incredible artist, but you grew up in a family of intellectuals and so you thought you were dumb. And then it turned out it was a strength and you should go work at Pixar. <laughs> right something like that so for me it was and continues to be finding that deep level of self-value and recognizing it doesn't rely on somebody else and that is not something that happens overnight I think it's something that matures over time inch by inch step by step meditation by meditation real growth almost always happens like that. It's, it's work and time and energy. Maybe you kind of wake up to something and you have a big realization and there's, you know, something in you just pops open. That happens. And then even when it does, there's usually a lot of work that comes with it afterwards to maintain and to deepen into. And I think that's how we shift our energy from the inside out. So, so as I find my own value, one of the things I do is I go out there and teach people how to find their own value as well. And when we sit and meditate and close our eyes, when we really get still, we, re we, we recognize that there is an enormous amount of value inside of us and it's just waiting to come out. But our heads are a little too noisy. <laughs> we don't realize that one out of every 50,000 thoughts that we have throughout the day is this diamond in the rough that can change our lives and change the world. So if you sit and meditate, some of that noise will come off and that, that diamond will rise to the surface and then who knows what you're capable of. Maybe you'll solve climate change. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Hey Change podcast. I really hope you feel grounded and inspired and just motivated to find your own light within and to go out there and bring the energy that matters into your life and into this world. Because together we can all make little changes and in the long run, we will change the world, okay? And if you like this podcast, I highly appreciate you heading over to whatever app you're on and giving me a quick review and some stars because... The more reviews I have, the easier it is for me to reach more people just like you. So I wish you the best day. I wish you so much good energy and healing and love. And I hope to see you back here soon.